go across the sea for me to see to my love there she goes above the misty hills to the clouds that are above she rides high on disco lights but i fear that she smells my fear I once danced in a rainbow below the earth Only once, but nothing was more clear That I must continue to fight for the divine Right to die the tunnel It is far too bright Man, it seems out of sight Hello, listeners. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. Mercury is tied up out back, mm-hmm. and we are a Stuff You Should Know podcast. No, we are not. What are we? Armchair Apocrypha. That's right. This is a show where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Mm-hmm. How was your week? It was good. It was a little busy. It was very busy. <laughs> Since I saw you... Eh, I saw you three days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? It was just a busy week. <laughs> We uh we watched the witch or mm. the the witch on Thursday. The witch. Uh, what did you think of that one? It was okay. It was not too shabby. Rachel's not a big horror movie person, mm-hmm. but um, I think she, uh, I think she handled I the movie. I think just PG. <laughs> <laughs> just PG. I had to turn around a couple times and be like, okay, you're gonna want to cover your eyes yes, now. Yes, thank you, thank God, and I did. Not even tempted to look. Yeah. How was your week? It was pretty good. Um, our uh, our FAFSA rush will start next week. Um, and so I'm going to be very tired next week. Mm-hmm. But this week was pretty chill for the most part. Good. Aside from our um, admin team meeting oh, yeah. yesterday. Um, Excuse me. My admin team is always very emotional about... <laughs> Their jobs. Um, it's a good thing, though, right? Yeah, uh, passionate is the the positive connotation. Um, they're very passionate about their work, um, but it makes for some intense meetings. And that is fine. Yep. And you are going on vacation next week, right? I leave on Wednesday. It can't come soon enough. Where are you going? To Sonoma for a couple of days and then San Francisco for a couple of days. That sounds amazing. I've never been in that far out west. Yeah. It's my first time in California. So I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so jealous of you going to California. <laughs> it's going to be cool. It's it going to be like literally, legitimately cool yeah. outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's 90 here in Louisville yes. for any of our international um, listeners. It's um, what is that in Celsius? Right now. Oh. Yeah. Um, 90 degrees Fahrenheit to Celsius. Uh, so it's about 32 degrees Celsius right now. It's it's very warm. Mm-hmm. It's very warm. <clears throat> uh, do you want to get into this week's episode? I do. Okay. I have a short one for us this week. No, then I'll, I can expand on mine. Yeah. 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 Um, have you heard the news about the 90-year-old World 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 War II veteran who came out as trans a couple of years ago? It sounds familiar, but I'm not like um, 
savvy with it. You're not savvy about it. Uh, Her name is Patricia Davies. Uh, She came out as trans to her doctor in 2017. Damn. Yep. Um, In a profile with the UK Mirror, the trans WW2 vet says she realized her female gender identity at age three, but kept it a secret and lived behind closed doors uh, with her wife of 63 years until her wife passed away in 2011. Um, so she was, she knew that she was trans for about 87 years of her life. Uh, she was born in 1927 in Leicester, UK. Um, and she says that she was, uh, three years old when she wanted to play with the girls toys. Her mother went along with her child's wishes. Um, when they saw a play of Peter Pan, uh, Patricia said that she wanted to be like the uh, fairy, like Tinkerbell Mm -hmm. and her mom made her a wand she never shamed her for her desires. Oh, wow. Uh, but deci- despite her accepting mother, Patricia Davies never came out as trans, partly because she didn't want to be sent to electroshock therapy to cure her. Yeah, that might be one good reason. That would that would probably be a good you. reason, yeah. Um, she joined the Army in April of 1945 at around age 18 and served for three years during World War II in East Africa, India, and Palestine. Uh, she said, transgender wasn't really known in those days. I would have been classified as a homosexual, which would have caused problems in the army. I would have ended up in prison, but I got through it. Uh, she says, but it was all right overall, and I feel quite proud of having served during the war and having done military service, in particular during the trouble in Palestine. Uh, perhaps, perhaps Hitler got news that I had joined in April 1945 and gave up. That's what I have to think. Uh, <laughs> Davies served in Palestine during the Zionist insurgency and the UN partition plan in which the UN recommended a two-state solution for the Jewish and Arab populations in Palestine. Do you know know about this? Mm -mm. Uh, So the UN recommended a two-state solution, one for the Jewish population, one for the Arab uh, population. Uh, The plan was accepted by the Jewish Agency for Palestine, despite its perceived limitations, but the Arab leaders and government rejected it and indicated an unwillingness to accept it in any form. Um, because of the territorial division, and they argued that it violated the principle of national self-determination. Immediately after the adoption of the resolution by the General Assembly, a civil war broke out in Palestine, and the plan was not implemented. Um, So Patricia Davies was serving in Palestine during this massive military snafu. Uh, Patricia Davies left the military at age 21 and married her wife. During the 1970s, Davies saw a TV program that introduced her to the concept of trans identity. Mm-hmm. Davies had never heard the word transgender and told her wife about her feelings. Her sympathetic wife bought her jewelry and dresses to wear in the wow. house. She was very wow. lucky. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, Patricia says she remained in the closet after receiving abuse from people in the street. Teenagers once harassed Davies when she wore woman's shoes out in public, and they began throwing eggs at her house. Mm-hmm. She also got odd looks when wearing blouses in public. Upon seeing a 2015 BBC Two uh, TV series entitled Boy Meets Girl, Davies decided to come out as trans to her doctor. Uh, she remains attracted to women, is on hormone re- therapy, and has begun living as a woman and telling some of her neighbors who have been accepting. She says, it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I was living a lie. Ugh. Ugh. 
Since coming out, uh, Patricia has become a member of the Beaumont Society, a support group for transgender community, as well as joining the Women's Institute in London. She said, it's not 100% safe now, but it's much better than it was. Oh, yeah. People that I have told seem to be accommodating and haven't thrown abuse at me. I'm known to pretty much all the old faces in the village. I'm quite content now and wear a skirt and a blouse. I don't wear any men's clothes anymore. If people don't like what they see, I don't care, but no one seems to be causing me any trouble. Nobody questions it, though. Nobody seems to bat an eyelid. They just accept me as I am. Mm. She says, the best thing about coming out is being accepted as a woman. That has been something I've wanted all my life. Uh, The retired industrial photographer has a distant aunt who once lived to 104 years old. And so she says she hopes that she has similar genes to keep her going so that she can enjoy her new life. Uh, most of the information from this article comes from uh, Metro UK and the BBC. Yeah. So if you're interested in Patricia Davies, you should check out those resources. That's awesome. Do you have a picture? Uh, I can pull one up real quick. Excuse me. There she is. Horrible. Look at that smile. <laughs> um, so that's my episode for this week. That's a good one. I had seen uh, the story going around and wanted to uh, look into it a little bit more. Yeah, that's great. I'm talking about something a little different. Okay, what are you talking about? That I go back to my roots and talk about a president. <laughs> <laughs> Which president? Did everyone talk about Zachary Taylor? Zachary Taylor. Yes. Okay. Are you familiar? I mean, I know you know of him, but do you know anything about him? Uh, just a little bit. Okay, yeah, because he's... He wasn't one of the boring. ones that we missed on Tuesday, was he? No. Okay. He was not. What was that question again? Oh, uh, yeah, it was stupid. It was um, eight presidents who were out of... Eight presidents not counting military people. Yes. Or people who never served in office. Um, who had been out of office for, for at least one year before they ran for president. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Zachary Taylor was not one of them, and I guess we'll figure that one out. Okay. So Zachary Taylor was born on November 24th, so he's a Thanksgiving baby, in 1784, (laughs) on a plantation in Orange County, Virginia, to a prominent family of planters. His um, birthplace may have been Hare Forest Farm, the home of his maternal grandfather. Okay. um, Though it is not determined with certainty. He was the third of five surviving sons in his family. A sixth one died in infancy. Okay. And he had three younger sisters. Obviously, back in the day, big families. Yeah. Um, Taylor was actually, Zachary Taylor was actually a descendant of William Brewster, a pilgrim leader of the Plymouth Colony, a Mayflower immigrant, and a son of the Mayflower Compact. Okay. And um, he's also a distant relative of Isaac Allerton Jr. Um a colonel merchant. I don't know why they cared about that one. And then Zachary Taylor's second cousin through that line of that not makes sense was James Madison, the fourth president. Okay. Um, I love how uh, Wikipedia said this, but his family forsook their exhausted <laughs> Virginia land and joined the westward migration and went all the way out west to current day Louisville, Kentucky okay. on the Ohio River. Um, I know that place. Yep, I'm a little <laughs> familiar with it. So Zachary Taylor grew up in a small woodland cabin until, with increased prosperity, his family moved to a brick house. The rapid growth of Louisville was a boon 
for Zachary's father, who by the start of the 19th century had acquired 10,000 fucking acres. I added that. Wikipedia didn't. Throughout <laughs> Kentucky. Wikipedia didn't say 10,000 fucking... Funny. No, not this okay. time. I could change it to <laughs> We can all do that. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> um, Throughout Kentucky, as well as 26 slaves to cultivate the most developed portion of his holdings. Um... His education was a little sporadic because, ha, 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 Kentucky's education system was just taking shape during its formative years. Mm. Um, his mother taught him to read and write, and he later attended a school operated by Elijah Ayer, a teacher originally from Connecticut. Okay. He also attended Middletown Kentucky Academy run by Keen O'Hara. Don't know why we need to know these people, but um, as this one person later recalled... Uh, Zachary was a patient and quick learner, but his early letter showed a weak grasp of spelling and grammar, as well as poor handwriting. Hey, oh. I have shitty handwriting too, so Me too. let's be careful. Yeah. Um, all improved over time, although his handwriting was always difficult to read. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> when I write things for people at work, I actually have one person coming by and I'm like, can you read this? Right. I usually try and get someone else to write it because I have some girls that have some very pretty handwriting. Yeah. So that's really about his upbringing from good old Kentucky now. Uh, so in June of 1810, so he's like 30s, Zachary Taylor married Margaret Mackle Smith. That's a name. Yep. Who he had met the previous autumn in Louisville. She went by the name Peggy. She came from a prominent family from Maryland planters, and she was the daughter uh, who, of someone who had served in the Revolutionary War. Okay. They had six children. Um, one of them did die in early childhood at the age of four. One died in infancy, um, but the other four kind of lived. Okay. Uh, well off life. Um, so, but that's in 1810. Let's go back a couple years. In 1808, he had joined the Army and was a first lieutenant in the 7th Infantry Regiment. Okay. Um, he was among the new officers commissioned by Congress in response to the Chesapeake Leopard Affair, in which an American um, frigate, 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 had been boarded by the crew of a British warship, sparking calls for war. Yes. Okay. Um, he spent much of 1809 in camps in New Orleans, um, or you know the territory of Orleans at that time. Under the command of James Wilkinson, the soldiers there suffered greatly from disease and lack of supplies. Yeah. Uh, and Zachary Taylor was given an extended leave to return to Louisville to recover. Okay. I scrolled too fast. Um, he was promoted to captain, though, in November of 1810. Mm-hmm. Um, but his army duties were actually limited at the time, and he attended to his personal finances, which I like that. He began to purchase a good deal of bank stock in Louisville. He also bought a plantation in Louisville. Um, so these acquisitions include slaves rising in number to more than 200, which is actually, well, obviously that's a lot, but especially in Kentucky at the time, because that wasn't like, it was a thing. Right. Well, actually, yeah, it was. Um, I'm sorry, I keep like scrolling. Do, do, do. Find your place. I found it. So for two years, though, he commanded a place in the Michigan Territory for a while. He's just talking about a little bit about his... He's been in a lot of little wars. He was involved in the Mexican-American War, mm -hmm. the Black Hawk War, the Second Seminole War. Um, so he has a lot of war service. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So, in the capacity as a career officer, though, Zachary Taylor had never publicly revealed his political beliefs before 1848, nor voted before that time. Sounds legit. <laughs> Reminds me of someone else, maybe. <laughs> um, he thought of himself as an independent, <laughs> believing in a strong and sound banking system for the country, and thought that President Andrew Jackson, a Democrat, should not have allowed the Second Bank of the United States to collapse in 1836. Okay. Oh, duh. He believed it was impractical to expand slavery, slavery into the western area of the U.S. as neither cotton nor sugar um, could be easily grown there through a plantation economy. Sure, that's the reason. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> solid, solid thinking. S- solid, yeah. <laughs> solid logic there. He is also a firm nationalist, and due to his experience of seeing many people die as a result of warfare, he believed that secession was not a good way to resolve national problems. I get that. Fair. Um... Sorry, well before the American victory at Buena Vista, political clubs were formed in which which supported Zachary Taylor for president. Jeez Louise. His support was drawn from an unusually broad assortment of political bands, including Whigs and Democrats, Northerns and Southerners, allies and opponents of national leaders such as Henry Clay and James K. Polk. Okay. Um, by late 1846, Zachary Taylor's opposition to a presidential run began to weaken and became clear that his principles more closely resembled Whig orthodoxy. As support for Zachary Taylor's candidacy grew, he continued to keep his distance from both parties, but made it clear that he would have voted for Whig Henry Clay in 1844 had he voted. Okay. In a widely publicized September 1847 letter, Zachary Taylor stated his position on several issues. He did not favor chartering another national bank, favored a low tariff, and believed that the president should play no role in making laws. He did believe that the president could veto laws, but only when they were clearly unconstitutional. Okay. Many Southerners believed that Zachary Taylor supported slavery and its expansion into the new territory absorbed from Mer- uh, America, Mexico. And some were angered when he suggested that if he were elected president, he would veto the Wilmot Proviso, which proposed against such an expansion. Okay. The position did not enhance his support from activist anti-slavery elements in the northern U.S., as these wanted Zachary Taylor to speak out strongly in support of the Proviso, not simply fail to veto it. Okay. And most abolitionists did not support him, obviously because he was actually a slave owner. Um. Yeah, that's that's pretty expected. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. like their one of their like big things. Yeah. It's like their top two. Um, in February eighteen forty eight, Zachary Taylor announced that he would not accept either party's presidential nomination. His reluctance to identify himself as a Whig nearly cost him the party's presidential nomination. But Senator John C. Crittenden, you might recognize that name from Highways um, of Kentucky, and other supporters finally convinced Zachary Taylor to declare himself a Whig. Okay. Though Clay retained a strong following among the Whigs, Whig leaders like William H. Seward and Abraham Lincoln were eager to support a war hero who could potentially replicate the success of the party's only other successful presidential candidate, William Henry Harrison, (laughs) (laughs) who only served like 30 days in office from pneumonia. At the 1848 Whig National Convention, Zachary Taylor defeated Henry Clay and uh, Winfield Scott to receive the nomination for president. Uh, the Whig nomination, excuse me, for president. For his vice presidential nominee, he chose Millard Fillmore, a prominent New York Whig who had chaired the House Ways and Means Committee and had been a contender for Clay's vice presidential nominee in the 1844 election. 
Do do do. So Zachary Taylor continued to minimize his role in the campaign, preferring not to directly meet with voters or correspond regarding his political views. Right. His campaign was skillfully directed by Crittenden and bolstered by a late endorsement from Senator Daniel Webster of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrats were even less unified than the Whigs as former Democratic President Martin Van Buren broke the, from the party and led the anti-slavery free soil party ticket. Van Buren won support of many Democrats and Whigs who expose, who oppose extension of slavery into the territories, but he took more votes from Democrat nominee Lewis Cass in the crucial state of New York. So nationally, Zachary Taylor defeated Cass and Van Buren, taking 163 of the 290 electoral votes. Mm -hmm. In the popular vote, he took 47.3%, while Cass had 42.5% and Van Buren with 10.1%. Zachary Taylor would be the last Whig to be elected president and the last person elected to the U.S. presidency from neither the Democrat or the Republican Party. Okay. So, fun fact there. Oh, as well as the last Southerner to win a presidential election until Woodrow Wilson in 19-fucking-12. Right. That's in the Wikipedia. No, it's not. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, if he's 1848, yeah, it was another 60 or 70 years until a Southerner won. But there are some things that happened that maybe people didn't vote for people in the South mm-hmm. in a few years after this. Right. Um, as some things. Some things. Just a few things. As president-elect, Zachary Taylor kept his distance from Washington, not resigning his Western Division command until late, uh, jan- till late January, geez, okay. 1849. He spent the months following the election formulating his cabinet selections as everyone does or should. Mm -hmm. He was deliberate and quiet about his decisions to the frustration of his fellow Whigs. While he despised patronage and political games, he endured a flurry of advances from office seekers looking to play a role in his administration. Shocking. It's not like this is new stuff that's happening. Right, right. Um, uh, While he would not appoint any Democrats, Zachary Taylor wanted his cabinet to reflect the nation's diverse interests. And so appointed apportioned the seats geographically he also avoided choosing prominent wigs sidestepping such obvious selections as henry clay mm-hmm. he saw Crittenden as a cornerstone of his administration offering him the crucial seat of secretary of state but uh Crittenden insisted on serving out the governorship of kentucky to which he had been just been elected so then he just went with a guy named john clayton of delaware a close associate of Crittenden's. okay um if you can't get the uh, the main guy, get his runner-up. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Zachary Taylor's term as president began Sunday, March 4th, but his inauguration was not, in hel- was not held until the following day out of religious concerns. Um, so his speech discussed many tasks facing the nation, but presented a governing style of deference to Congress and sectional compromise instead of assertive executive action, which is kind of what he was talking about anyways in his speech running or in running for president. Right. Um, as he took office, Congress faced a battery of questions related to the Mexican secession or session, excuse me, acquired by the U S after the Mexican war and divided into military districts. Um, that's really all I got about that. I okay. just left. Us. Sorry. <laughs> I did that last week. So I know. They, um, while he was in the office, they annexed Cuba. <laughs> um, Not that great of a decision in retrospect. Yeah. 
So Henry Clay took a central role as Congress debated about the slavery question. This is the big thing. While his positions had some overlap with Zachary Taylor's, the president always maintained his distance from Henry Clay. Historians disagree on his motivations for doing so. Um, so Henry Clay developed his landmark proposal, the Compromise of 1850, which right. I'm a little familiar with. Yeah, The proposal allows statehood for California, giving its independence on the slavery question, while the other territories would remain under federal jurisdiction. Okay. This would include the disputed parts of New Mexico, although Texas would be reimbursed for the territory. Slavery would be retained in the District of Columbia, but the slave trade would be banned. Meanwhile, a strict fugitive slave law would be enacted bypassing northern legisla legislation, mm -hmm. which had restricted Southerners from retrieving runaway slaves. Okay. Tensions flared as Congress negotiated and secession talks grew, culminating with a threat from Taylor to send troops into New Mexico to protect its border from Texas, with himself leading the army. That's pretty bad. Taylor also said that anyone taken into rebellion against the Union, he would hang. With reluctance, then, then he had hanged deserters and spies in Mexico. The ominous law was a major step forward, but ultimately could not pass due to extremists on both sides. Shocking. Um, no compromise reached Zachary Taylor's desk during his presidency. Okay. His last days were overshadowed by the Galfin affair. Before joining uh, his cabinet, Secretary of War Crawford had served as a lawyer. He had been involved in a 15-year case. My God. That's representing the descendants of a colonial trader whose services to the British crown had not been repaid at the time of the American Revolution. I know it's important, but my God, what a snore. <laughs> the British debt to George Galfin was to be assumed by the federal government, but Galfin's heirs only received payment on the debt's principal after years of litigation and were unable to win an interest payment from the Polk administration. I, I, I think that sounds pretty fair, though. Well, they weren't happy with it, so it's 15 years now. Okay. Treasury Secretary Meredith was, uh, with the support of Attorney General Johnson, finally signed off on the payment in April of 1815. To the president's embarrassment, this payment included a legal compensation of nearly $100,000 to Crawford. Two cabinet members had effectively ordered a tremendous, tremendous chunk of the public treasury to another. A House investigation cleared Crawford of any legal wrongdoing, but nonetheless expressed disapproval as his accepting the payment. Zachary Taylor, who had already been sketching out a reorganization of his cabinet, now had an unfolding scandal to complicate the situation. Mm -hmm. but that's all right. Something else came in the way. What's up? On July 4th, 1840, so three months later, Zachary Taylor reportedly consumed copious amounts of raw fruit and iced milk while attending holiday celebrations during a fundraising event at the Washington Monument, which was then under construction. Okay. Over the course of several days, he became severely ill with an unknown digestive ailment. His doctor diagnosed the illness with cholera morbus, a flexible mid-19th century term for intestinal ailments as diverse as diarrhea and dysentery, but not related to um, Asiatic cholera, the later being a widespread act academic at the time of his death. Okay. The identity and the source of Taylor's illness are the subject of historical speculation, although it is known that several of his cabinet members had come down with a similar illness. Um, what do you think it was? I will let you know what I think okay. after this. All right. Um, despite treatment, Taylor died... Literally five days later, on July 9th, 1850, he was 65 years old. After his death, President or Vice President Fillmore assumed the presidency and completed Zachary Taylor's term, which ended on March 4th of 1853. 
Um, so he was in office for like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, soon after taking office, Fillmore signed into law the Compromise of 1850, which settled many of the issues faced by his Zachary Taylor's administration. Um, so Zachary Taylor was interred in the public vault on the of the Congressional Cemetery in D.C. from July 13th to October 25th. Um, his body was then transported to the Taylor family plot where his parents were buried on the old Taylor homestead plantation known as Springfield in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Um, because of his short tenure, Zachary Taylor is not considered to have a strong influence to have strongly influenced the office of the presidency of the United States or the United States, excuse me, <laughs> or the United States. Or so, historians believe that Zachary Taylor's too inexperienced with politics at a time when officials needed close ties with political operatives. Despite his shortcomings, um, some treaties were actually helpful. Um, while historical rankings of presidents have generally placed Zachary Taylor at the bottom quarter of chief executives, most surveys tend to rank him as the most effective of the four presidents from the Whig Party. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the Whigs. <laughs> um, Zachary Taylor was the last president to own slaves while in office. He was... Yeah, he was third... Of four Whig presidents, the last obviously being Fillmore, his successor. Um, Zachary Taylor was also the second president to die in office right after William Henry Harrison. Because um, no one had been shot yet. No one had been assassinated yet. Right. Um, in 1883, the Commonwealth of Kentucky placed a 50-foot monument topped by a life-size statue of Taylor near his grave. By the 1920s, the Taylor family initiated the effort to turn the burial grounds into a national cemetery. Um, the Commonwealth of Kentucky donated two adjacent parcels of land for the project, turning the half-acre Taylor Family Cemetery into 16 acres. Okay. On May 5th, 1926, the remains of President Taylor and his wife, who died in 1852, so just two years later, mm-hmm. were moved to the newly constructed mausoleum made of limestone with a granite base and marble interior nearby. The cemetery prop property has been designated as Zachary Taylor National Cemetery. I've been there. Have you been there? I have not been there. It's a it's mostly for uh veterans. Okay. So I if if you drive by the cemetery, it's right there on Brownsboro Road. Okay. It's not that far. Um if you drive there on like Memorial Weekend, you'll see all the little flags and I've seen he has like two grave sites which I'll tell you about in a minute. Yeah. And like the one that he's in now it's above ground, but it's encased. Okay. Um the U.S. Post Office released the first postage stamp issued honoring Zachary Taylor on June 21st, 1875, 25 years after his death. Um, and then in 1938, he would appear again, this time on the 12-cent presidential issue of 1938 stamp. <laughs> um, don't really care that much about that. So they have theories. Some people think that he was drugged. Okay. Some people think that it was something he ate. Um, Which happened all the time. So here's some ideas that they have. Hashtag armchair apocrypha. Yes. In 1978, Hamilton Smith based his assassination theory on the timing of drugs, the lack of confirmed cholera outbreaks, and other material. 
In the late 1980s, Clara Rising, a former professor at the University of Florida, persuaded Taylor's closest living relative to, to agree to an exhumation so that his remains could be tested. The remains were exhumed and transported to the Kentucky Chief Medical Examiner in 91. Samples of hair, fingernail, and other tissues were removed, and radiological studies were conducted. The remains were returned to the cemetery and, and with appropriate honors in the mausoleum. Okay. So neutron activation analysis conducted at Oak Ridge National Laboratory revealed no evidence of poisoning as arsenic levels were too low. I've heard this. The analysis conducted Taylor had contracted colomorbus or acute gastro, gastro, uh, gastro, gastroenteritis. Yep. As Washington had been had open sewers and his food and drink may have been contaminated. Any potential for recovery was overwhelmed by his doctor who treated him with other with like opium and quinine at 40 grams per dose mm-hmm. um, and bled and blistered him too. Ugh. Ugh, yeah. Political scientist Michael Parenti questions the traditional explanation of Taylor's death, relying on interviews and reports by forensic pathologists. He argues that the procedure used to test for arsenic poisoning was fundamentally flawed. A 2010 review concludes there is no definitive proof that Taylor was assassinated nor would appear to appear that there's definite proof that he was not i'm under the conclusion that he had gastroenteritis yeah totally i think like it's cool to think that he's assassinated but i think (laughs) he's one of the four presidents that died on accident not by someone's hand i mean it would probably be a better story if like the last president who owned slaves was poisoned to death um but it sounds like he ate a bunch of uh, spoiled fruit and stuff. And maybe spoiled milk. And maybe spoiled milk. That sounds real gross, too. Does... Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I, I just think that the, the spoiled fruit is probably oh, like, yeah, more disgusting. It it's, like, squishy. I've heard it's that like if you eat strawberries with, with mold on it, it can, like, yeah. really, really do something to you. Yeah. Which is why you don't eat strawberries with mold on it. Yeah. I mean... Spoiled milk is still gross, but I just think that the spoiled fruit is grosser. It is. Yeah. It might actually make you sicker. Yeah. Combine the two and you might be dead like sick too. But yeah, so he's dead. And I've seen his grave before. I think I went on like a class field trip there in elementary school. Oh, so. It's nice. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a graveyard, but all the tombstones are the same size. I think it, I don't think anyone gets buried there anymore. I think it's filled and I think it's all army. Okay. All oh, military people. Yeah, military. Yeah. I think so. I have to go. It's been a while. I one time for in high school, I was doing the I had to do like a night photography shoot, and I actually took Grace's sister with me, who's like thirteen at the time, to yeah. do these like overlapping photo things. And I was like, "Let's do it at a graveyard." Let's do it. And we did it there. Respectfully. Is it is it like open? Can you just go mm-hmm. in? And... You can just drive in and park okay. and walk around. All right. It's really pretty. Yeah. I mean. It's an open field and trees and stuff, but yeah, and it's it, like they said, it's not super big, but it's big ish. Yeah. I think it's. I feel like it might be more than sixteen acres now, but I'm not really sure. Okay. So the moral of the story is: don't eat rotten fruits or drink rotten milk. Mm-mm. Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, Rachel has things to do tonight, so we are going to get out of here. Um, sorry for the, the shorter episode this week, but we hope you enjoyed. Um, as always, you can find all of our stuff at uh, absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. Um, 
I have two books for sale. I've got In the Shadows of My Mind and Red Hats and Black Masks. They're both available on the website. Um, if you want to follow us on Facebook, we are at Absinthe Activism Arts. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are Absinthe Act Art. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me personally, I am on the Fediverse at AWM Rights, on Twitter at AWM Rights, and on Instagram at AWM Rights. I post a lot of pictures of Mercury oh my gosh, on Instagram. So um, if, if you are uh, a Louisville-based artist who is looking to get involved with us, please just send us a message. We uh, will set up a meeting, or um, we can talk over Facebook or whatever. Uh, if you feel like contributing to our uh, funds so that we can buy better equipment or, you know, uh, uh, fund art programs or whatever. Or we're going on vacation out to California. No, just go on vacation out to California, pay for our house. <laughs> or, you know, laptops uh, at work. <laughs> if you want to contribute to our mutual aid fund, anything like that, uh, we are on um, Patreon at Absinthe Activism Arts and Coffee at Absinthe Activism Arts. And you can... Uh, do a recurring payment or a monthly payment. Um, check out uh, our music. It is Joshua Paul Brooks, who is playing a show uh, at the Bean right now. So um, check out him. Uh, Katie, our artist, is open for commission. She has um, she has artwork on the website, uh, and Halloween is coming up. So if you want to get something spooky or haunting for your uh, your house for your halloween party go ahead and send her a message um uh our friend christine is an actress she um she has a new video up i can't remember what it's called because of course i can't but we will um, link to it on the site go check it out she's a great actress um is that everything it is okay cool uh, we are going to get out of here, and we will see you in two weeks. Love you, and see you next time. Under the tongues of men lie the simple truths of terror. But my love's eyes make bright the night skies and clears the stormy weather. In the rain, I'm like a wet dog in my hunger, it intensifies. But the thunder clears all my mind sounds, and the fear, it is justified. The lightning scorches the plains, the fantasies go up and flame. The distinguished author goes insane, but my love, she remains just the same. Ha, ha, ha.